Welcome to the Coach's Edge podcast dedicated to teach, sharing, and learning the game. Thank you for joining me today. I'm your host, Steve Kramer of Kramer Basketball and the Coach's Edge. And now we have a great episode cooked up for you today with head coach Brooks Miller, head coach at Trine University men's basketball. Uh, but before that, we are about a year into the Coach's Edge podcast. And so I just want to thank you for being a part of this. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your support. Thank you for if you shared it on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, just listening, leaving a rating and a review. Uh, we wouldn't be doing all the cool things that we're doing with the Coach's Edge podcast and coachesedge.coach if it weren't for you. You are a part of this. So if you have listen, support us in any way, shape, or form. Um, just know we're, we're kind of in this together, you know? And, and so I just really appreciate you for taking the time to listen to The Coach's Edge. And one of the reasons that you're listening is because we're trying to bring in coaches that can help you get better at what it is that you do, coaching the great game of basketball and impacting lives. And Coach Brooks Miller is one of those people. 21 combined years of college coaching experience. He just completed his 10th year as head coach at Trine University. And this past year, the 2020-2021 season, he was named the NCAA Division III National Coach of the Year by HoopDirt.com and Just Play Sports Solutions, as well as Basketball Times Magazine. He was the 2021 Great Lakes Coach of the Year by D3 Hoops and the Trine University men's basketball team had a 17-0 regular season, 15-0 in the conference. They won the league. They won the league tournament. And the only loss came in their postseason championship. You have to remember, NCAA canceled the NCAA tournament for Division Three, But they were able to get a postseason contest with number one Randolph-Macon College in Virginia. That was the only game that they lost this season. And in this episode, Coach Miller, touches on a bunch of things, but the focus of this was on establishing roles within your program. How he goes about defining roles for his players, the roles that his coaching staff plays within their team and their program, how they communicate with, with their players, helping them establish not only their roles, but their expectations and how they can grow and fill different roles. Throughout the course of the year, he gives great examples of some of the teams and players that he's had, how certain players have been able to move up and establish uh, very vital roles within their program. He also talks about his philosophy, share the ball, attack the ball, go get the ball. And also pretty good Bob Knight story when he was a GA at Texas Tech with when Coach Knight was there. So all that and much more. I'll stop talking. Let's get to the show. Special thanks to Coach Miller for taking the time. like to give a warm Coach's Edge welcome to Brooks Miller, head coach of Trine University men's basketball. Coach, thanks for taking the time to be on the Coach's Edge podcast. Hey, thanks for having me here. It's, uh, it's a pleasure. We're excited to have you. You guys had a, a phenomenal season, um, ranked as high as second in the country, only one loss this year to Randolph-Macon, which was a, was a heck of a game. Two great programs um, getting after it. Um, when did you realize – that this had a chance to be a, a very unique and special season and team? Well, it, it's a pretty interesting situation. We had a, uh, we had a young team last year, but we had the, our older guys, our seniors were our most talented guys. 
And last year in practice, uh, the group we had, the younger guys, would they would win half of all the competitions we would do. When I talk competition, I'm talking three on three, four on four, five on five stuff. And, you know, we would sit there in the coach's office. If we could just get this group to next year, they just weren't physically ready yet to win at a high level. Um, and we felt last year's team, we had to get the most talented guys out there ready to win the tournament at the end of the year. Um, and we went through some bumps with, with some lack of execution there, but we also won some big games because we were talented. Um, and in the end, we ended up getting beaten a championship game uh, because of a lack of execution, but I think we got there because we were really talented. So I think it started then that we thought we had something special with these younger guys. And then when we went to Benedictine on the road this year, down seven with 20 seconds left, and Bryce Williams hits a three, uh, we get a deflection on the inbound, and Manny McNanglo hits, shoots a jumper from the free throw line. It hits the back of the rim, goes about six feet up in the air, falls down, and then Bowman gets a steal at half court, takes two dribbles and buries a three to win it <clears throat> with no time left on the clock. You knew you had a little extra on your side, possibly. Uh, and I do think you work to create those breaks. Um, those are situations we, we've put our guys in as much as we can. But it takes a little magic there, too. So you thought maybe you got a little destiny there. Um, and then when I really thought we could be a championship-level team was when we played at Kelvin. Uh, Kelvin's a historic program, as you know, with a great coach, uh, Coach Saul, who coached both myself and my assistant, Coach Lehman. And we were, uh, we were down two, or we were up two at the half, and they shot about 55 60% from the field. And I thought, wow, they, they're going to have a hard time doing that again. Um, if we can just stay the course. And, and that was Nick Bowman's first superhuman performance uh, from start to finish. And we ended up winning the game by 18 down the stretch. We wore him down a little bit with our depth. And then Nick just made play after play when we had to make it. And, and I turned to Coach Lehman. And I said, okay, we, we got somebody here that can get us where we need to go. Um, and we just got to keep bringing it out and figure out what that is. So that's when I really thought we had a chance to do something special and win a championship. Um, but we had to stay the course and, and that's always the challenge of, of, but I do think COVID helped us each and every day. We had to take it one day at a time. Um, and you were forced to overcome some adversity, forced to try to use things that other people were using as a crutch, use it as an advantage. Um, when they told us we had to wear masks, okay, let's wear them. Let's wear two if they want us to wear them. Let's just keep a smile on our face. Let's not get frustrated. When they told us that they were going to cancel the NCAA tournament, hey, that's great. Um, I guarantee you our administration, if we're deserving, will figure out somebody for us to play if we're deserving at the end of the year uh, for an opportunity in a postseason game. Let's keep let's keep going. Um, and I heard coach after coach and and individual on TV personality. You know, why are we even playing? Why are we even doing this if there's no championship? Well, um, there's a lot of reasons that you and I both know uh, you being a hope graduate and that uh, um, and me having graduated from Hillsdale and playing college basketball, that it's more than just that. Um, it's the group, and this is a really tight group, and their togetherness really helped make this thing happen. That's really cool. There's so many things you, we could dig into just in your opening statement right there. Um, what does luck look like? A lot of hard work. You put yourself in a position. I remember watching the end of that specific game against Benedictine, I think, right, where you guys make that comeback, and it was – it was one of the coolest short burst comebacks um, I've ever seen. And, um, you know, you're, you're, you're right. It's bigger than who wins the championship, who wins a tournament. You know, when I finished my basketball career um, and people asked me, what do I miss most? Um, it was the group of guys getting being around them every single day. 
it is, it's a family atmosphere and you can't quantify that. Um, you can't put a, a trophy or a price tag on any of those things. Um, those are valuable, valuable uh, opportunities that sports can, sports can provide. And that's um, how you build a program at this level. Yeah. I think, you know, we're not paying these guys to play. So what do they have? They have each other. They have the experience. And the more you can get them to embrace the bad times or not the bad, but the, the, uh, the challenging times, embrace that and enjoy the good. Um, but you got to do it together. That's how you build a program in division three. It's, it's strictly about those guys in that locker room because we can push them and challenge them and grind them, but it's really easy to say, ah, you know what, coach, I think I'm going to spend some more time working on my engineering degree or, you know, my girlfriend's going to Miami of Ohio. I think I'm going to head down there with her, but it's a hell of a lot harder to tell your teammate that if they're really close, if you live with together, if you work together, you do everything together. So, and that's why I think this group really separated themselves from the rest. Absolutely. And I know another big part of program success is helping players define what their role is. Uh, it's a big part of your program. How do you go about uh, helping your coaching staff and individual players define their roles on the team? Well, there's a lot of um, uncomfortable conversations. I think you got to be willing to have them. Uh, you can't be a coach or have a staff that wants to get invited to the graduation party. That's not how success works um, at a high level. And I think in maintaining it, you got to have these uncomfortable conversations one-on-one -on -one and really discuss what we feel your strengths and weaknesses are. And I tell our players, it doesn't always mean we're right. It doesn't mean that, Hey, you, you may think you're think you're a better ball handler or a better passer or a better shooter than this, uh, than we may think you do. But the bottom line is uh, the decisions we make in this coach's office is for what we think the, is for the best of the group. And this is what we think we need you to do. And then we put it on the group. So we, we like to say we don't have a whole lot of elephants uh, in the locker room or in the film room because everybody in that room has to know each other's strengths and weaknesses. When you run motion offense like we do, um, everybody touches the ball. That's a big part of who we are and what we do and our identity is everybody's touching the ball. So we got to know what we need to do and what our home runs are when we catch it. You know, how do we get uh, Emmanuel in a spot where he can hit a home run, which is having an angle to the basket? Or how do we get Bryce his home run shooting a three in transition or on an inside out play? How do we get him the ball there? Um, but what is, you know, where does Bryce not at his best? Uh, you know, how do we keep him from putting him in those positions to fail? So role definition is significant, I think, at any level, um, at anything you do with a group, your family, your job, uh, whatever it may be. And I think it just comes with being a great team. Everybody has to know what they bring to the table. And they have to understand that the success of the group is dependent on every single individual in there. Um, we constantly praise our third team that comes in and runs the ball screen shells each and every day for 35, 40 minutes, um, allowing us to work on our rotations. You know, we have one guy, we had a freshman this year, Mitch Sauber, who was as valuable as anybody we had on our team. You saw him in maybe three or four box scores all year long. But we had a team this year that really struggled making plays off the dribble, which makes it really difficult to prepare for ball screen defense. Now, Mitch was really, really good at making plays off the dribble. He struggled, struggled like most freshmen in other areas that are undersized defensively and, and things that, uh, you know, maybe he had to improve on, but he could make plays off the dribble. So every day his job was to put pressure on us off the dribble. He made a few mistakes, not a big deal, maybe builds our confidence a little bit. He kicks us in the tail a little bit. 
really good. You know, he, he's making plays. Now we can really get on the guys and challenge him. We have another guy from Spring Lake, Michigan, uh, Griffin Lormer, who's a junior. He's basically been a three-year scout team guy for us. We're trying to prepare for, for Hope and Kelvin, who have big post players that try to put the ball on the floor and put pressure on you by backing you in, backing you in. Griff's fantastic at that. He's only 6'3", 6'4", doing it. Uh, and he doesn't get off the floor that well, but he sure as heck knows how to create some space. So we have a shell drill that's just a griff shell drill, post-entry shell. He starts with the ball 18 foot away, and he starts putting it on the deck. And we're working on bluffing and recovering, bluffing and recovering. And when you have a high-character group of guys like we had this year, uh, they really respect that. They know. They know we can't do the things we did defensively this year without those two guys. Um, and those guys are just as valuable as the guys scoring 20. And it's easy for those guys. You don't have to talk to your team about what a great player Nick Bowman is when he's scoring 22 a game and he's got three and a half steals. He sets the record for steals in a season in an 18-game season in college. Um, or he's doing, a, you know, we don't need to praise Nick over and over again. Nick knows what he does and what he brings to the table. We've had guy, we had a guy here, Miles Copeland. His job was to score for us. Everybody on the team knew it. He could really, really do it well. And you better do it well if you're, if you're not, you know, uh, at your best in other areas. But that's where he was at his best. That made us better. Um, and we had guys that embraced that and, and accepted that. I just think role definition is something that constantly changes. Uh, you know, you and I mentioned that through email. Um, it changes throughout the year. This year, uh, we had a guy that played JV for us last year, Connor Jones. He was on our third team scout group in the, uh, in the, whole, the entire fall. And Connor is another guy, big, strong guard that could make plays off the dribble. Um, he was inexperienced, so his decision-making was a little sporadic uh, early on, so we just kept him in that group. But when we came back at Christmas, we're like, guys, why? why are we not giving this guy an opportunity in the first and second team? So we come back for Christmas. Uh, we put him in the second team. He's making a bunch of plays. We put him in at Benedictine. He makes two really good plays, one bonehead play. That's part of, that's part of being inexperienced and doing it. And then the game after that, he had a great practice leading up to that next week. We start him. He never left the starting lineup. So, you know, when we talk about that scout group, there's opportunity for everybody. Um, it, if you can do something that the team really needs and if you you can bring that to the table, any coach that wants to win, any team that knows what's important, any teammate understands, hey, this is what we have to do. This is what we need. If, excuse me. If this guy's doing that, he's going to have an opportunity. Now, if he would have went in at Benedictine and had two bonehead plays and one good play, the, our whole season might have been different because he wouldn't have had maybe another chance. Um, that's just kind of how it works when you're, when you're young as a freshman or sophomore in college. So, so role definition is significant, and we do it a lot through film. We show them this synergy stuff that we've been able to add the last few years. I don't know how familiar you are, Steve, with, uh, with synergy, but we can go right to Connor's line, and we can click on the amount of turnovers he's had, um, and we can click on that, and they'll show all the turnovers in a row. We can go to all of his made jump shots and we can show him exactly clip after clip after clip where he made them from, how he got them. So it really helps the conversation of this is where you're at your best. Just look at the statistics here on Synergy. Look at the video. It says it right here. These are the things we got to do to put you in these situations. Let's look where you're at your worst. This is where you got, this is what you got to avoid. You know, if, if, if I'm a recovering alcoholic, I'm not looking for a job at a bar. You know, that isn't something I want to do, you know, so we talk about putting these guys in situations to be their best and then trying to avoid putting themselves in situations where they're not, but it's not just them. It's the entire team that's responsible for that. The program, the coaches, the teammates, the practices, how we structure it, 
all the things we work on in individuals, focus on what they're good at and what we can get them better at and avoid the things we don't do very well. You've, you've mentioned some, some great key pieces, especially the, the communication aspect throughout the course of the season. That door's open for players to fill in a role if there's a need for the team and we need it. There's a, that's an opportunity there. You're not pigeonholing a kid into a spot for the whole season and they're stuck in there. Can you now share a little bit of how that role may change from, okay, you're a freshman to a sophomore. Now you're an upperclassman and how you communicate that role as far as their development year in and year out as they progress that trying. No, I got a great example for you. My first year here, we recruited a guy from Fort Wayne, Indiana, Dustin Hall, really high character young man, played at Fort Wayne, uh, South Side, tough kid, but very limited athletically, very limited skill wise, which is a challenge when you're a basketball player and six foot one at the guard spot. His first year, he came in with us, he came off the bench. Um, really had to improve his shooting to play on the wing on the perimeter. Uh, but we, it was our first year and he had some opportunities uh, he, on the scout team and then also in the games because we didn't have a whole lot of depth and we wanted to get him some experience. In year two, you get your first recruiting class in. You think, OK, you know, these guys are a little more talented than some of the guys we had last year in year one. But our starting point guard, for whatever reason, um, decides to quit about two weeks into the season. And we have very, very limited opportunities of guys that can handle the ball and make a decision. One thing Dustin Hall could do was pass. He was a very good passer, uh, limited dribbler, limited speed, very limited shooting the ball. But he made sure Ian Jackson, who scored, I think, 1,500 points for us, Scott Rogers, who scored 1,200 points for us, he made sure those two guys got shots and he led the MIAA in assists. The next year, we bring in Will Dixon from Zionsville. Start, you know, he's a point guard. Um, he scored 1,800 points for us in three years. He's three-time first-team all-conference. He's the best player we had in the program the minute he got here on his recruiting visit. Um, and so Dustin's job now was going to be limited. And now that we get about, I don't know, six, seven games into the year, Dustin's only playing about four or five minutes a game. But we're really struggling defending the low post. Uh, we, we're having a hard time. We're, very, we're undersized and we need to front the post and we can't get it. We weren't getting it done. Dustin was a bigger, stronger guard. So Dustin knew that and he was smart. If you can pass, you can think and you can anticipate those guys that can pass are usually smart basketball players. Nothing's a true science. But one thing we look for in recruiting are guys that can pass because they can get better and they make everybody else around them better. So Dustin was smart enough to realize, hey, I can front the post. I'm strong enough. I can beat up on these guys. And not only was he great at front of the post, he was an unbelievable communicator defensively. So now he's our starting foreman. And we led the league that year in turnover ratio. I think we were first in the country in turnover ratio. Now, we didn't, that was a year we did not beat any, we beat one team with a winning record. We ended up 15 and 10. Our league was a little down then. We lost to Hope three times, Calvin twice, and Albion twice. We finished fourth in the league that year. But we never lost to anybody we were supposed to because Dustin did something that we really, really desperately needed, and we got it done. Um, and so that's, I guess, what I mean, how your role can change each and every year if you're limited. Now, it's really easy to take a Steve Kramer or a Will Dixon and figure out, okay, these guys can really score the ball. They can do a lot of things. We got to get them, you know, a little bit better here, a little bit better there, which comes with experience. Uh, you know, it defensively, especially the way we play, you learn angles. Um, you learn how to anticipate, you do a better job of keeping the ball out of the middle, which is one of our big things um, and how to seal a baseline. Uh, what we do is not rocket science. It's just difficult to 
execute, especially for young people, because you got to communicate. Um, and that really develops as you go like It's hard to communicate what to do if you don't have repetitions. It requires repetition. To run motion offense, to, to play a team style of defense, whether it's our defense or maybe a pack line or whatever it is you decide to run, you've got to be able to communicate and you have to learn what to say. Uh, and you also have to have a personality that allows you to do that. So Dustin was one of my favorite guys to coach because each and every year we're thinking, okay, we can move on and move up and, and improve in this area. And Dustin said, no coach, I'm going to help you here. You ain't getting rid of me. I, I'm going to help awesome. you here. And his senior year, he was a big part of one of our best teams we've had. No, that's a fantastic story of, you know, from both the player and coach perspective of that player being able to have a vision and see where there's a need. And obviously yourself and your coaching staff to be able to essentially be creative and say, we, we have a hole in a certain spot who can fill it. Okay. Maybe this is more of an unorthodox approach, but it ends up filling need. And I love what you said, a sign of being a, a smart player is you can pass. I mean, I wrote, I wrote that down. That is, that is so, so true. And I haven't heard it phrased like that. I really, really love that. Um, on the topic of role definition comes player development, obviously, especially at the division three level, there's not a lot of time that you can work with your players when you're not in season. Right. So what, what are some of the off season expectations that you put in place for your players? Well, we want them to come in here in the best condition they can possibly come in in the fall. Um, we are really fortunate here to have an incredible staff. We have Coach Lehman, who's been with us five years now, um, who does a tremendous job. He's a certified strength and conditioning coach, so he actually has a little more access to the guys than maybe some other coaches do. Now, it's in the weight room, but that's you're still building those relationships and, and being able to get the point across of what we're trying to get better at. Uh, we also have two guys with us. John Weissong's a retired teacher. Um, he's been with us three years and won two championships, so he's kind of the key, I think, to the whole thing. But these guys, and Nate Frisbee has now been, he's in, going into his third year with us. These guys spend a ton of time and have really convinced me to invest even more time into the individual aspect of what we're trying to do. And I, I kind of came into this thing the way you said, well, it's division three. We ain't got a lot of, we got to work on the team stuff. How are we going to take a whole day and spend individual workouts on a Tuesday when we need to focus on rotations? We need to focus on sealing the baseline. We need to focus on sprinting the screen, finishing cuts and doing all that. But um, these guys have been able to break these guys it went, during the season, break them up into small groups and utilize the small group aspect of really emphasizing what they do well. Uh, but it, it's huge. My, our staff has been consistently great at that. And we don't get to where we are if uh, John Wysong doesn't spend the time he spends with Reese McGinsey uh, preparing him as a freshman and a sophomore when he's getting no varsity playing time to hit the big shots he hit for us to beat Adrian at home, to beat Huntington at home in an exhibition game. Um, with Coach Lehman spending the time he did with Nick Bowman and Aiden Warzeka when they were on the scout team, but staying with them after practice as freshmen to get them better and learning what we do and really figuring out what they do well. What are they grasping? Um, and then Coach Frisbee running our scout team, getting this group to really be prepared and fired up each and every day. But player development isn't just individual development. Uh, we do a lot of film, a lot of individual film. As a staff, we watch every single practice. We tape every practice. There might have been three or four this year, the entire year, that we didn't watch. And that would have been because maybe we had a late night uh, practice uh, because of whatever, uh, because we lost power <laughs> or who knows. And then we had to get on the bus early Saturday 
to, uh, to go on a road game, but uh, that's really important to us. And we take those clips out of practice and constantly show the guys, the cell phones have been huge with that too. I can send a, a clip of a guy practice through a cell phone and, you know, this group watches it. And Coach Lehman always told me, he goes, Coach, you got to be careful what you say to these guys. They're going to do anything you tell them to do. Uh, they really want to, they want to please us. They want to win. They want to do it for each other. So everything you, you say, and I have all the confidence in the world when we're sending these guys clips that they're watching them and taking it to heart. But I also have the, the, the backing behind it, what, what we did that next day in practice after showing them those clips or how they're getting better. So I think development comes in a lot of ways. And it also comes with just building the relationship understanding where the, what their stories are, where they're coming from, what makes them tick, uh, what doesn't, and getting them to understand that the team is the most important thing. Um, and, and again, we'll go back to what I think is special about Division Three. I don't think we got a lot of guys. You, you know, I know you were fortunate to go play overseas um, and, and things, but there's a small percentage of guys that continue their basketball career outside of Division Three basketball. It's about the team. And, and you try to remind them that, hey, the most important thing you can put on your resume is I was a part of this championship program because we're recruiting guys from winning programs. Uh, I know you got kids. I got kids. I want my kids hanging around with kids that have parents uh, that are really active in the community or successful at what they do or are involved in their kids' lives. We want to we want to bring in good habits to the program. So most of the guys we're bringing in here have good habits already, whether it's from their parents or for the programs they're fun are from we're just trying to build on that but that individual development that development also comes with the scheme repetition repetition of of reading this screen uh in a five-on-five -five situation knowing uh that nick is going to make a back cut here if the guy's playing them here kind of like in football with quarterbacks and receivers that's like running motion offense is where the guy where's the guy playing you and that only comes through repetition and this group we had um we'll have seven seniors next year and they've all been together, again, on the scout team for at least a year. Uh, some of them played in JV games as freshmen. And now into their third year here in our program, they really have a feel for where each other is going to be on the floor. And you can tell that. And, and that's when we share the basketball the way we do. A lot of it is because of the repetition they've had together and development. The group development uh, has been really special. That's awesome. There's a lot of communication involved. There's a lot of clarity. You, you do that through the communication piece. You use that through a lot of game film review. And I think the more that people are on the same page, the easier it is to have a lot of those difficult conversations that you mentioned earlier, because you've shown it, you've done it, you've communicated it in so many different ways and opportunities throughout the course of the year. Um, it gives your players that chance to grow and improve compared to them kind of guessing what they're supposed to to do throughout the course of a season or in the off season. That's, those are great, great uh, pieces. We're gonna take a quick break, uh, a word from our sponsor, and then we'll be right back. Before we get into our interview, we'd like to thank our sponsor for this episode, Richardson Automotive of Standish and Gladwin, serving mid-Michigan in the thumb with their big three automotive needs. They have a wide range of products from Chevy, Buick, Ford, Chrysler, Jeep, Dodge, and Ram. They also have a large selection of pre-owned vehicles. With one of the largest selections of trucks in the state, they are sure to fit your needs. Standish and Gladwin, our truck country, stop in and see them today. And I can tell you from firsthand experience, they will get you right. When I lived in Ohio, I still went all the way up to Standish because I knew they were gonna take care of me when it came to getting a new vehicle. Richardson Automotive of Standish and Gladwin, 
They are all about service. Okay, welcome back with Coach Brooks Miller, Trine University, men's basketball. Um, Coach, as we were emailing, you talked about having a philosophy of share the ball, attack the ball, and go get the ball. Can you break down each of those and share why it's so important to try and basketball? Well, uh, Coach Knight said one time that basketball philosophy is kind of based on two schools of thought. One is change and surprise. The other one is simplicity and execution. And we are big believers in simplicity and execution. Don't complicate winning um, and become great at something. I've, I've always felt and I've, I've learned it through basketball and, and in my own life that having an identity is the most important thing you can have. You know, what is somebody going to say about you when they, when, when you're not around or what do, if they need something, you know, well, this needs to be done. Well, let's call the plumber or let's call the carpet guy or let's call this, or, you know, that's something that's really important in your life. Um, how do you act in crisis and what do we need? What kind of identity do we have? And, and I think if you watched us play, like you said, um, we really share the ball well. We had a game this year where I think we had 26 assists on 31 baskets. Um, we're very dependent on cutting and screening and popping the ball side to side. Uh, reversals, 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 reversals and paint touches. We chart reversal possessions within the game. Coach Frisbee does a fantastic job of that. I used to have a shot chart, which is great, but I don't think it's as important as knowing what you get on certain possessions based on reversals and paint touches. I think that's everything you're trying to do. No matter how the game evolves into the way the NBA game is being played now or having a, you know, playing with two posts or one post or no post, you're still trying to do two things. You've got to put pressure on the basket and you have to be prepared to take shots. You want to get shots without a hand in your face. And obviously vice versa defensively, you're trying to create jump shots with a hand in their face. So how do we get that on offense? Um, so when we talk about share the ball, it's get the ball side to side and inside out. And we will spend time just working before we start the offense, get it here. And we count them. We do five on zero. And the team that's not in is counting the reversals on the side. Um, you also with the shot clock, you know, in practice, maybe we'll say we got to get Bryce a jump shot in a five on zero setting uh, under 10 seconds on the clock. So how do we get that shot? Well, we got to get it with a driving kick. We got to get it with him screening and popping, him coming off a cut or a paint touch kick out play. So those are some of the things we do. We only have three entries. Well, this year, we only use three different entries into our motion offense. Some years we've had five, some years we've had too many. And, and I don't think it's a coincidence that the less we've had, the more success we've had. It really all turns into the same thing anyway. Uh, but, you know, I, those are things that we really talk about sharing the ball. Now, defensively, we talk about attack the ball. We, we're not a real pressing team. Uh, we added a little 2-2-1 this year, and we had a lot of success with it. Um, we, you know, I don't, whether we continue with that or not, I don't know. But we really try to take advantage of you in the half court and take you out of steal your practice time. We talk about keeping the ball out of the middle of the floor, sealing the baseline. You may get a good look, but it might not be the same look you practice every day. That's an open jump shot or, or whatever. We're trying to create those opportunities, but we're talking about attack the ball. So we talk point of pickup is huge for us. We want our heels on the three-point line or just above it. We want to own the space on the three-point line. We want to make you earn it and take it there. Uh, we want to make you run your offense just – 
eight to 12 inches farther back than you normally would uh, and attack the ball when it gets put on the floor, attack the ball when it gets into the post. Uh, we're going to give you, not give you, uh, but we are designed, we're probably going to break down. We're trying to break down. It's what you do after you break down. So no matter where it is, we want to attack it. Um, and I think that's really important. And in the end, none of that stuff matters. Your no middle defense, your pack line defense, your denial defense, your press defense. If you don't go get the ball, go get the ball, go get the ball. Um, whether it's a loose ball, a deflection, a rebound, you know, everybody talks about 50-50 balls, 50-50 balls. Well, yeah, that, that makes a big difference, but you got to have the mentality and the desire to go get the ball. And I think if you do those three things, those are three things that you can have uh, an attitude about that are difficult for another team to impose their will on you. Uh, there's other things, obviously, that, that are involved in winning, but some of those things are out of your control. I think those three things can really be a decision, a choice. You know, we talk in our office all the time. Coach Lehman is a workout freak. He's running triathlons and stuff. And he tells me, uh, you know, I got up and, and biked and swam and did this. And, I, and, and one of us will say, wow, are you nuts? He goes, no, I just made a choice. I just made a decision. That's what I was going to do. And I did it. And I think we try to sp spread that to our players is their choices you're making. Just decide that you're going to do it regardless of what happens. Um, and I think those three things are more choices than they are uh, people can impose your will on you. So if you do those three things, I think it gives you the best chance to win. I love it. Decide, commit, act. Drew Lehman in a nutshell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's, that's really good stuff. Share the ball, attack the ball, go get the ball. We had uh, Coach Brian Morehouse of the Hope College women's team on the podcast this past summer. And when he was talking about offense, he mentioned essentially those same things. He said, we want to get the ball side to side. We want to get the ball inside out. And we want early offense shots. And if we can concentrate and really try to hone in on those three areas of our offense, we're going to be in pretty good shape as far as what we try to do offensively. Um, regardless of what you're running, if you, if you can do some of those things, you're going to put yourself in a position to succeed. And you mentioned the same thing with attacking the ball defensively. I mean, there's many different ways that could be the correct way for your program to play defense, but getting, you talked about getting the offense out of their practice. I don't know exactly what you, their practice spots or their practice reps. Um, I love that. And I, I think of when we were playing at Hope, we had a very similar philosophy of no middle, want to cut off the baseline and we want to make you catch it outside of your comfort zone. You know, right around the three point line, we play the passing lanes, we're going to get up in those passing lanes. And so you might have to catch it five or six feet outside of the three point line instead of you know, a step behind and especially where the game is playing now with even more three point shots taken. I think that's even more, even more valuable. You guys have clearly shown and proved that with um, what you guys have been doing at, at trying. You were, you were a, a GA at Texas tech when coach Knight was there. Do you have a good coach Knight story? Man, I got a lot of them. Uh, <laughs> it was only eight months because he resigned that year. I was there. Uh, but there was a lot of great stories and he was an unbelievably optimistic, positive guy. Um, and the exciting thing about that at the time, I didn't have any kids. My wife and I moved down there when the opportunity presented itself. We, we got married. And the next day after we got married, we hopped in the U-Haul and drove to Lubbock and moved all our stuff there. And, and coach was uh, tremendously supportive for us. He did a lot of great things in the community. Uh, but he, you know, he gave, I've learned a lot of things from different coaches, um, but obviously being involved with Coach Knight's program with him and then Pat, you know, Pat had a lot to do with me being there. 
Uh, but my time there was, I, I tell people, I kind of felt like Forrest Gump for a while. Uh, I became really close with Chris Beard, who was the, the assistant there, who did a lot of different things. I, I lived across the street from him. I was basically his assistant for the most part. Uh, but I was really involved in player development there. So I'd meet with Coach or Beard or Pat even, and we would talk about, okay, this guy needs to do this. Let's get him better at that. Um, this is where he's not being very good. Maybe we can get him better. Again, goes back to the role definition. Let's avoid it altogether. Keep him from doing that. Um, and then also on on-campus recruiting. So we'd have recruits fly in. I'd pick them up at the airport, get them to where they wanted to go. Really enjoyed that. Um, and it, it was a lot of fun. But I'll give you a, the quickest Coach Knight story. Oh, boy, man. I, there's, we're playing. We just lost to Stanford. And it was over right before Christmas break. And Stanford had the Lopez twins. They had another NBA guy, Landry Fields, and they had two other really, really good college players. Um, and everybody left from Dallas that night. It was like on the 23rd or 22nd. So they, some of the guys lived in Dallas. So they flew home. Some of the coaches went and spent some time with their families. But we were coming back again on the 26th. So it wasn't really worth my wife and I spending the money to come back. So we hung out and I'd go into the office and I remember watching tape with coach. Uh, I was actually in the workroom and he said, come on in here, boy, see if you can learn something. And that didn't happen very often. It was speak when spoken to, and, and, and you did what you had to do as a GA just to help make the program better. Um, so I got to sit in there with him, just him and I watching the tape of the game and seeing the things that he saw. And then I remember he asked me a suggestion or he said, uh, he said something about Trevor Cook. You know, look at Trevor. He's, not, he's nowhere near where he's supposed to be. And I said, Coach, I, I don't think he understands what he's supposed to do here. I, I think he thinks he's supposed to be in this spot. Uh, if you look at him in this situation, he's doing this right and that right. And then and whatever it was, I think it was a defensive rotation more than anything because somebody else screwed it up. And he said, you know what, boy? I think you're right. And I shut my mouth the rest of that thing. I knew if I never coached another college basketball situation in my life, I could go back to Joe's Tavern and sit on the bar stool and I could tell that story forever and be a hero. So back in Metamora. But no, it was uh, coach was great. And I was real lucky to be around him. Um, he, he was huge on, you know, you know every, what did you learn from coach? Well, here's what I learned to, to shot fake, to pass fake, to jab step. That's what we did. Uh, attack the gaps against the zone sprint to screen, finish your cuts. It was not rocket science. It's just really difficult to get people to execute. Uh, being successful is not, it's not some huge formula. It's, it's all about accountability. If, if you're willing to look in the mirror and tell yourself, you're right, I'm not very good there. or I made a mistake there. I got to improve that. If you can do those things, you can be successful in anything that you do. I mean, we try to remind our guys that this is just a tool. You're investing in this as a D3 student athlete. This is what I hope you get out of it when you leave here is the fact that what you're doing is I'm saying I'm finding out what my strengths are. I'm figuring out what other people's strengths are and how to utilize them, but also how to hold each other accountable when we don't accomplish or achieve the things we're capable of achieving or making the right choices or staying committed to those choices. So if you can do that, you can have a lot of success in, in any aspect of life. And, you know, I do it at home as a father, as a, as a husband, you know, these guys make me better in both of those areas. Uh, I tell them that each and every day, I learn something different from each guy, from each team. Uh, and I think after 10 years of experience, uh, you know, I got a lot of coach Knight to thank there, but there's a lot of other guys that helped me along the way too. Uh, Steve Green at South Plains Junior College, Ed Dalma at, uh, at Hillsdale is my coach and, and my high school coach, Jerry Kiefer, who I talked to, uh, five, six times a week still to this day. 
That's awesome. I mean, there, there's so many great takeaways from that that we can apply to not just the game of basketball, but everything else that that we do in life. And Coach Knight and anybody that's competed or coached at a high level has a has a, the motor and a competitive juice about them. And as a college coach, you're you're in the recruiting game, and you have kids that kids that will work hard. You have kids that love playing the game of basketball. There's another aspect to those kids that love the competition. Can you talk about the importance of having players that just love to compete? Well, everybody views basketball differently and it doesn't make any of us wrong. You know, the way we play here at trying isn't necessarily the right way to play. It's just, it's just our way. Um, and we try to stay on the same page and execute that. Some people see it as who can put the ball in the basket the best. Other people see it as who can keep the ball out of the basket the best. And then, you know, somewhere in between is probably closer to the right answer. Um, but what I think is really important uh, to to where we want to go is that, uh, you know, you just have to have a group that really cares about the group and winning. Um, and whether it's a three on three drill or a four on four screening drill or, or five, you know, we count screens in some of our. our uh, and here's another thing that I think helps us here. Coach Frisbee is the referee in practice that way. When something happens, and I think this is significant, and, and, and for coaches out there, if you can make one of your assistants the official every day, that, that's a big thing because guys that are really competitive, they can be the highest character guy in the world, but if something happens that causes them to lose that they think is unjust, they're not ready to embrace it in the moment. Now, we'll go talk about it in the film room, but it's way better to have a confrontation with an assistant coach than it is the head coach, and it's way better to be the mediator in that situation than it is the, the guy that's that's combating back and forth. So I think you get a competitive group, an edgy group, you're going to have to live with some of those challenges. Uh, as a coach, too, they're going to challenge you a little bit, and you got to be prepared for that. But being competitive is significant. However, I, I think uh, having some empathy is as well. I think there's a, there's a combination of different things that go into being a, a, a really great basketball player and having the right mindset. I think comp competitiveness is significant, but I think too much of it can take you in a, in a, in a dire direction as well. You got to be able to balance that. So um, we, we do compete. If you watch our practices, um, we're competing playing four on four, five on five, three on three for probably 80% of the practice, maybe even more. Uh, we do shooting drills to break down the offense and a little bit of five on oh, but we're, we, we play. And I got that from coach at Texas Tech. I, the one thing I was amazed with at Texas Tech of the practice structure was how much we played. We didn't waste any time with drills that you never did in a game. We never put a cone on the floor. I mean, never would do something like that because there's no cones in games. Or we wouldn't do a drill like a three-man weave where you're running behind guys and weaving. And I'm not saying those drills are bad. I'm not saying – but it's kind of what, what's helped molded me is he said, why would we ever do that? if you're not going to do it in a game. So everything we did was really related to uh, being geared into game situations. And if we wanted to work on screening, we play five on five and we would count screens. And if you scored a basket, then you add that basket there. That's your total. So maybe you got it. We get four screens and you get a bucket. Uh, you got five points and you played to a certain score. If you want to work on penetrating cuts, we're going to count penetrating cuts uh, or we got to have two or three penetrating cuts till we get to a basket, until we take a jump shot, take layups anytime. 
And one on zero is always the best play in basketball. So if you get a run out for a basket, we're taking it. Uh, you mentioned earlier, early offense, when you mentioned Coach Morehouse. We talked about early offense a little bit as well, but we identify home runs in early offense. So what are our home runs? For this team, it was getting Emmanuel or Brent Cox running the floor right down the middle. It was Bryce Williams on a step in three. It was Nick Bowman attacking the middle in the early offense or a catch and rip drive. So those are kind of how we develop the early offense um, as well, combined with all the half court stuff we're talking about. But I think that competition really helps fuel you wanting to get better, but be competitive as a team, be able to figure out how to mold that desire into the group and, and share it a little bit. Uh, that's great. You know, knowing, I think for coaches to be able to hear you're, you're taking out a lot of the things that you feel like this, when it comes to drills and things like that, my philosophy with coaches is if you have a good reason for why you do it, if you can give me a good reason and not just, well, that's how we always did it. I'm in. If you have a good reason for why you do something, cool. You know more than me as far as your team and all that stuff. But to be able to look at your practice plans and to be able to say, where's the most bang for our buck? And for, for you, a lot of that is competing and getting after it. I, I love that. And I think a lot of coaches can benefit if they, if they take some of that and apply it into their programs as well. Um, coaches, we finish out the podcast. Couple quick hitter questions. What's the best advice you've received from another coach? Best advice I'd ever received from another coach. Uh, Bob Nichols was a great coach at the University of Toledo. And I had lunch with him. And I've had a lot of them. But this is something that sticks with me. And I still keep this on a, a piece. I still have the piece of paper he wrote it on. He ended up passing away like two or three weeks afterwards. But uh, Steve Mix was our coach here for the women's. He was a great player in the NBA. Uh, played at the University of Toledo. And he hooked me up with Coach Nichols. Um, and we had a, a one-hour lunch plan that turned into a four-hour lunch. And he wrote down, he said, field goal percentage over talent. And one of my other assistants, Doug Williams, whose son plays for me now, Bryce, uh, taught me a ton. And he kind of was along the same way. He said, look at the overall production, the production. You know, if a guy has to score 25 to be productive, then maybe that's not the right thing we're looking for. Uh, but yeah, I would say field goal percentage over talent. Don't get tricked by talent. Make sure the guy is an efficient player. Uh, one of my pet peeves is, and, and I got to be careful, I'm sure when I approach this, but is, is the Kobe Bryant conversation. I saw something on Twitter, which I hate scrolling through to see these type of things. They had a bunch of tough shot clips from Kobe Bryant that, he, of course, he made them all. It was a highlight video. But Kobe Bryant shot 44% from the field in his career, 44%. Michael Jordan and LeBron all shoot over 50 um, and all the great player, Tim Duncan, all over 50. And for all the hours that Kobe Bryant supposedly spent in the gym at three o'clock in the morning, I would have thought he'd have shot higher than 44%. You know, what about all those tough shots he took that he didn't make in, in crucial situations? So I'm not saying he's not one of the greatest players of all time, incredible competitor. I think it's, it's, uh, you know, his career is fantastic and, and, and everything else, but, I look at field goal percentage when I think about who do I want to, you know, what, what makes us a great team. And I think that really matters. Uh, so coach Nichols told me, he said, field goal percentage over talent. Don't get tricked by talent. I love it. I love it. And um, yeah, I mean, those are great examples and that could, that could drive us down a whole nother rabbit hole of shot selection, right? Yes. <laughs> of, okay. You might be the best shooter in the world. You may or may not have a ton of talent, that still could give you a terrible field goal percentage if you're not taking the right kind of shots. 
That's a, well, you're talking about role. De- you're talking about role definition again yeah. there too. Yep. You know, who's taking these shots where and how and why. Mm-hmm. Yeah, shot selection is is always key. Um, what advice would you give to your younger self? Diet, rest, and cardio. Those okay. three things. Okay. If I could do it all over again, I was really, really lucky to be on some great teams as a player. Um, and I wish I would have embraced the dieting, the exercise, and the rest. Um, and I would read, I would have read more. Um, I would have, I would have put a much bigger emphasis on those things, spending my time much more efficiently. Um, and that's what I really admire about our group. We got about four or five guys that, you know, really are efficient with their time. And I really respect that because that's mm-hmm. something that I, I, I regret as a player. Uh, it took me a little bit longer to figure out until I became an adult. And then as you know, as you become a parent, it gets a, you better be efficient with what you're yeah. doing Yeah, no and, question. and having a career like this and, and as in a husband and, and everything else. So, but yes, those, that's something that I wish I could go back and had enough discipline to make good choices on better choices. Mm-hmm. Coach, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to be on the coach's edge podcast. This was awesome. I don't want to take up any, any more of your time um, this morning. I know a lot of our coaches are really going to benefit from, the, the knowledge and the passion that you clearly have for the game. And for any of our listeners, make sure you're, you're following Trines Men's Basketball this, this upcoming season. I'll be sure to post their link um, so you can follow them on, on Twitter as well. So Coach Miller, just appreciate you. Keep up the, the great work. Look forward to following your team. Thanks for being on the Coach's Edge. Hey, thanks for having me. And if any of those coaches out there ever want to come to practice, um, we're, we're, everything's open. We don't have any secrets here that you can't see on film. So we had Coach Turner come in one year. Uh, Cause I have so much respect for him from Albion and we got to play them in, in a couple of weeks. It, it, it just, you know, to us, it's uh, I like getting feedback from guys. So anybody that can come watch and see something that we're not, that'd be fantastic. Awesome. Thank Thanks you. again, coach. Yep. Bye. Thank you for listening to the coach's edge podcast. If you found it beneficial, please subscribe rate and review. That goes a really long way as we continue to build and grow coachesedge.coach and Coach's Edge podcast as a whole. Um, we finished our launch last week and I'm just, I'm blown away with the support that we've had with Coach's Edge, with the website, with the feedback that everyone has been a member to the Coach's Edge. And so again, I just want to thank you. Thank you for being a part of this. Thank you for uh, listening to this podcast. If, if you related any all to me, and you probably can't, this past year with the pandemic has been really, really difficult for a lot of people in many ways, shapes, and forms. And so when we're able to support each other, be able to encourage one another, things as simple as listening and, and sharing on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, that stuff goes a really, really long way as we can continue to strive to get better and help all the people that we're around each and every day. So thanks again for listening and get after it.